You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. This is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society, and today is Wednesday, January 2nd, 2008. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. And Evan Bernstein. Yes, and a Happy New Year to everybody, all our listeners, and all of you. Yes, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. We are looking forward to a great 2008. Woohoo. And it will be. That rhymes, Steve. It is. What is 2008? Is that the year of the cock again? It's always the year of the cock around here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bob, uh, what are you talking about? The Chinese Chinese, uh, symbol thing they have? No, well, you know, there's the year of the dragon, there's the year of the cat or whatever, and there's the year of the cock. Talking about Chinese astrology. All right, that's, yeah. Everybody knows that. Has everyone made their New Year's resolution? I did. Yes. My New Year's resolution is to rock harder. Even in harder in 2008. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I rocked pretty hard in 2007, but I'm going to take it to a whole new level in 2008. going to raise the bar on hard rocking. Uh-huh. And also to be skeptical. Ah. Most of mine are still intact. Year oh. of the rat. 2008, Year of the rat. Cool. Well, you know, it's actually oh, yeah. not the Chinese New Year yet. That's another week away. Yeah. Not a month away. the bubble. No, but two, like 2008 weeks, in general is the year of <laughs> something. You have to expect us to be pedantic. What's your uh, Steve, what was your resolution? I did start a new blog this year, as, a, as we discussed on the wrap-up show. We were, I was planning on starting a new blog, and I did. So the Science-Based Medicine Good blog job. had its first, first post yesterday on January 1st and second post today. And I got my other authors all lined up contributing their posts. They're already going up online. That's a nice lineup, Steve. Oh, cool. How many guys do you have? So far, five, but I've already had multiple people email me and say that they want to get involved. They want to contribute. You know, they have, they have specialties not covered already, a dentist or whatever, some other kind of uh, nurse, you know, other healthcare professionals who want to contribute to the blog. So it's already getting a lot of play. PZ Myers, who, does, who writes the most popular science blog in the world, Feringula, gave us a plug on, on his blog today. He so, did. Awesome. Wow. Ooh, cool. I got to check that out. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's getting off to a good start. So, Steve, is your goal to do one? You, you'll contribute one one a week. For one that, a week, yeah. My, me personally, it will be one a week, and we're going to ha- have at least uh, one post a day, as opposed to me not personally, as opposed to me, you know, supervising other people doing it. Right? Um, I will actually write one blog <laughs> a week, and other people will contribute the rest. Steve, is Mark Chrislip going to be uh, writing? He uh, has promised to do an occasional contribution. He, d- he doesn't, doesn't think that he has time for a weekly contribution. So he what says he's busy, he's busy enough just putting out quackcasts. It'll be hard to add anything to that, but I'm, I'm still working on him. Make it happen, man. I, You'll get him in line. Last year, the first episode of 2007, we reviewed psychic predictions for 2000 and for the for the previous year, for 2006, to see how they did. They did terribly. So we're going to do the same thing again this year. We're going to review the psychic predictions for 2007 to see how they did. On last year's show, we did mention there was one prediction for 2007 that we mentioned, and that was Pat Robertson's prediction. Do you guys remember what he predicted? No. He predicted... That Jesus would return... That there would be no, not not quite. He <laughs> predicted that there would be a major terrorist attack on a U.S. city sometime late in 2007. 
and that, if you remember, he said God didn't say nuclear, didn't necessarily saying it's going to be nuclear, but uh, it will be something like that, something on the scale of a nuclear attack or a major mass killing in late 2007. And was oh, that science or fiction? <laughs> well, unless I'm really out of the news cycle, I, I don't think that occurred. So I think... Uh, Doesn't mean God didn't tell him that it wouldn't, you know, that it would have occurred. Yeah, maybe right? God's just, just messing with Pat yeah, Rogers. God's just uh, God said, wrong. psych! <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve he, said, he said that God explicitly told him. Yes. Yep. He wasn't... Yes. But you know, you know the out for these things. Always the out is our faith and prayers prevented it from happening. There you go. That's right. You weren't Disaster averted. Scoozy, really regretty, and up he goes. Let's hope God doesn't start telling him to burn things. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, or I mean, really, anybody else says that God is speaking directly to them is going to get thrown in the loony bin. Pat Robertson gets a pass somehow. I don't understand it. Has he addressed his failure uh, in any way? Have you searched for any uh, any updates from him? Or I'm sure he's probably just ignoring the whole thing. No, nope, if somebody finds one out there, let us know. But I could not find any follow up from Pat Robertson. You know, when you make these predictions and you fail, generally you just quietly let it go and don't don't comment on it. But again. but if you hit, it's a nice hit. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, that's right. Yeah, you play that for as much as you can get out of it. And we did discuss this this uh, uh, briefly last year. You know, why do psychics and and mentalists or mediums do this kind of thing? It's it's kind of an easy easy way to uh, to try to get um, some you know, media time or some press. It looks impressive when you make interesting sounding predictions, and people, you know, the public eats it up. They like to read these predictions, and you're very rarely ever held accountable for how many were correct or how many were wrong. And they use several techniques in order to make it seem as if they are more successful than they are, like promoting the hits and never mentioning the misses. Um, I've never seen a psychic like actually accurately tracking their hit and miss rate in any kind of uh, objective way. They usually just promote the hits. They also make vague predictions that sound specific. They sound like there's some specific details in there, but they're specifically designed to be open-ended and to allow for multiple interpretations. Or they predict very, very high probability things, you know. They, they predict like... Like a California earthquake. Yeah, there's going to be an earthquake in California. Or, you know, maybe they'll go for like who's going to be elected president. Um, there's a limited, you know, there's a finite field, so... It's it's specific, but there's you know because the the choices are limited, it's at least a reasonable probability of being correct. I finally found some psychics that claim to have predicted nine eleven. Mm-hmm. After the, the fact. Well, I, I don't know the circumstances, but they claim that they did it. And uh, well, the, who are they? The, the psychic and twins. Proof? Have you ever heard of them? The psychic twins. Yeah, it's these two hot girls. And they're psychics. I was about to say, it sounds sexy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they, uh, you dial 1 900 for, their, uh, <laughs> for, for your reading. <laughs> the first thing they ask you is, we're going to tell you what you're not wearing. But they. Uh, 99 a minute. You know, the thing is, they never um, tell you what they missed. They just, there's just a list on their site of all the things that they hit. Um, but I, yeah. I didn't, couldn't find any reference to what they actually said. So, mm-hmm. and when they said it, but they're hot. Yeah. <laughs> so that that makes up for it, right? Uh, well, our our good friend Sylvia Brown has made some predictions for 2007. 
between yeah. her coughing, between her cigarette drags. Right. <laughs> the kid's dead. <laughs> <laughs> My wife uh, taped Sylvia Brown on Montel Williams, just in case I would be interested in she said anything interesting that we would want to use. And she like My wife watched Sylvia Brown for the first time, and she said, I couldn't believe it. She is not even trying. You know, she's just sitting up there and people start asking about something and she just starts throwing out random crap about you got angels and I see a small woman. Goodbye. Next. You know, not even like <laughs> interacting with the people, just not even trying. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's it. She's not even trying. She was shocked at how bad she was. She given, gets by on her looks. So. Given, right, given her popularity. <laughs> but anyway, so... Sylvia Brown made a number of predictions for 2007 on the Montel Williams show, and these were dutifully recorded by a blogger who, uh, who seems to be a, a believer. Uh, I couldn't find these on Sylvia Brown's site herself. Here are some of the predictions that she made. England and France will be hit by numerous terrorist attacks, very potentially by the underground subway system and the trains. I think she was off by a year or two for that. FEMA will be involved in a scandal and will undergo investigations about missing money. Numerous people will go to jail. Uh, that did not happen. Now, she's probably going to claim a hit for that. FEMA was involved in a scandal this year, although it had nothing to do about missing money, and nobody went to jail. Do you guys remember this? Yes. The, the sort of minor scandal. They were, this is with the California fires, right? They had a fake press conference. Oh with, yeah, yeah. With what? With a FEMA agent feeding the FEMA representative, you know, questions to answer, and it was just sort of bad form. That was that was it. So, not exactly a uh, a hit, but I'm sure probably claim it is. Um, she writes, "Property is to boom again." Sylvia says to buy now, flip while it's cheaper, and wait a few weeks until prices soar again. Well, pro- property values are still in the tank. Huge drug busts in June. Uh, that was nowhere. Uh, no large USA or Canada terrorist plots. She says that aviation will be secure. So that was, you know, she a know high probability no one. Um, so that was correct. There weren't any major terrorist attacks in USA or Canada. But, again, that's sort of just a high probability one. A prediction on what won't happen? That's interesting. Right. Mild East Coast winters and terrible West Coast winters. That's kind of vague. I, f- I file it under the vague category. Hepatitis C breakthrough, a possible cure will emerge. Nope. Yeah, nope. Polio and whooping cough outbreaks. Sylvia warns to continue getting vaccinated because polio will come back, and when it does, it will hit hard. Wrong. Depression will be linked to diets. Not in the way of losing weight, but instead they will discover chemical problems causing depression and processed foods. Wrong. Sylvia warns of an extremely rapid rate of environmental changes. You know, she's just sort of capitalizing on the, the topics that are in the news, you know, right. but there's nothing special on t- in 2007 about environmental change. Uh, in fact, if anything, the trends slowed down in 2007, you know, the, the, the warming mm. trends actually was a bit, were not apace with previous years. Um, Sylvia says, uh, and I could have easily guessed, that glaciers will be breaking apart, tornadoes will hit major U.S. cities, and specifically Texas, New Mexico, and major cities in Mexico. Volcanoes will erupt, especially in Hawaii and Italy. She warns of travel to these locations. Also, the world will continue yeah. to spin. Yeah, and, we'll and the, sky spin. Will, the sky will be blue on some days. <laughs> I predict that throughout the winter it will get colder and the days will get shorter. But it will warm up again in the spring and it will be very hot by summer. <laughs> this is what we call global warming. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> there was a couple yeah, other a uh, predictions she made, Steve. She, uh, 
She predicted that Lee press-on nails will go on sale. And that um, and that stretch <laughs> pants will continue to stretch. They they will continue to stretch. And, and cartons of cigarettes will go will go on sale. <laughs> she says a possibility of U.S. troops returning home and Bush's approval rating rising as a result. Um, how about more U.S. troops in Iraq and Bush's approval rating continuing to to decrease. Go down. She was close though because she did say something about the troops and Bush. Yes, that's true. Something happened with the troops and <laughs> She didn't say which Bush. <laughs> a cure for autism is in sight. Finding an amino I think she meant an amino acid that is no, she lost meant an amino. and reversing that's the amino. effects of autism. That's just not even close to anything. She said just, just amino, not acid. Yeah. That's right. An amino. An, an amino. amino. Yeah. <laughs> She's so, so busy, was, she doesn't have time to write the word acid, all right? <laughs> that was Sylvia's prediction for 2007. Do you think hey, that Sylvia. she has a think tank, like a group of people, and they're no. like, okay, let's come, or does she bang Oh, yeah, out? it's a real think tank over there. <laughs> you know what's going to happen in 2007? They're going to decide amino acids aren't actually acidic. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. <laughs> no, it's just her smoking a cigarette. As my wife observed on her on the show today, She's not even trying. She's just pulling these out of her rather generous backside. That's it. <laughs> these are just so. These are simplistic because she has no respect for her audience, for her target. She thinks can, that can they're see easy her, marks. Her assistant comes over. She's like Sylvia. We need your 2007 predictions quickly because we're running out of time. And she's like eating a ham sandwich and she like is mumbling. Well, you know, it's the bush. She's writing it down on cocktail napkins. Yeah, handing them in. <laughs> uh, she's, well, she's, I know I know about a psychic who was a little more specific. Oh, Have right. you guys ever heard of Nikki, the psychic to the stars? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Nikki. No, Sadly no. enough, she actually does get into newspapers that are desperate to fill space, and those like Us magazine things like that. So she does these predictions every year, and. Here's a sampling of what she predicted for 2007. I swear to God, I'm not making this up, nor am I cherry picking here. An explosion around Rockefeller Center will cause havoc. Orient Express will derail and kill hundreds. A disease wipes out hundreds of walruses. A poison put into potato crops will kill thousands in the U.S. and in Canada. A Hollywood movie star is killed by a poisonous snake. A TV monitor the size of a computer nicknamed the Dream Machine will monitor your dreams while you sleep, and you'll be able to see the results the next morning. The world's largest pumpkin will be grown in Pennsylvania. A UFO will land near the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. And a serial killer dressed like the Phantom of the Opera will kill in New York City. (laughs) Oh, my God. On on Broadway or off Broadway? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I checked those out, and it turns out that she's wrong. The world's largest pumpkin was grown in Rhode Island. Uh So, otherwise, even the easiest one she actually She said that someone dressed up as the Phantom of the Opera is going to go around killing people? Yes. Yes, she did. Um, Some I missed. What will they be singing, did she say? (laughs) She didn't. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber or something? I imagine they would probably be big fans, yeah. Yeah. She also said things about, like, uh, London will be a, in a state of emergency from a fog, mm-hmm. things like that. She's <laughs> from a fog. Just wow. ridiculous stuff. <laughs> and and she, she actually uh, 
puts these on her website and she keeps them there. So you can, you can scroll through her previous few years. And then for each new year, she, she promotes what she guessed right in the previous year. So under 2008 predictions, she mentions that she did predict the death of Anna Nicole Smith. And I checked. It's right on our website. She did. Um, and I looked back and also she predicted Anna Nicole's death in 2006 <laughs> and, and 2005 and 2004 uh, and 2003. And that's when the records run out. Yep. <laughs> so oh, I'm not sure how perfect. far back she was predicting it, but <laughs> every yeah. year. <laughs> that reminds me of a, of a story I heard of a surgical resident who predicted from just a vague symptom like abdominal pain that the patient had a fairly uncommon entity, a, a gallbladder ileus. And then the attending was really impressed. It's like, wow, how did you make this diagnosis just based upon this presentation? That was a really, really good call. Then he found out that the resident has been writing that on every patient's chart for like the whole year, <laughs> knowing that eventually he would be right. Oh, wow. Well wow. done. Well done. I'm <laughs> impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I found I found an interesting one um, that it kind of kind of relates to uh, something we talked about a, a few episodes ago. Is this guy is um, he's touted as Seer Herschel Gomez from Miami, and one of his predictions kind of struck me. Uh, it said that in May in May of 2007, look for the FBI to investigate a series of ghastly but surgically precise cattle mutilations in and around Crawford, Texas. The president blames Al Qaeda terrorists, but the culprits are never found. Oh wow. my God! Al Did that happen? And I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you imagine Bush being stupid enough to even to blame Al Qaeda for something as stupid as that? Yeah, we, we now, all know the aliens are doing it. I mean, come on. But Bob, that makes sense because Al Qaeda is just a government fiction used to cover up the uh, alien invasion. All, Who told you? Everything I mean, that's blamed on Al Qaeda really is the what the men in black are doing vis-a-vis the alien greys. Yeah, I think that's true. I did not know that. Including disemboweling cattle. Yeah, yeah. For whatever nefarious purposes. One thing that's interesting is that Skeptico, now this is Skeptico with a C, which is an actually skeptical blog, um, made predictions for 2007, you know, at the end of 2006, just to show that you know, anybody could just whip out, you know, random um, high probability predictions and do as well as the psychics. And he did pretty well. Uh, let me read you a couple of them. So these were some of his predictions. Actually, when you mentioned that the uh, that one psychic predicted Anna Nicole Smith's death, again, Skeptic Ho um, predicted three people would die: Kirk Douglas, Lady Bird Johnson, and Zsa Zsa Gabor. Ah. And he was right, oh. Lady Bird Johnson. Kirk Douglas didn't die. I didn't feel it happened, so I don't think so. And, and speaking of, my coworker predicted Anna Nicole's death, and she got a lot of points for yeah. it. Yeah, hey, a friend of ours predicted her death in a death pool, so that wasn't that wasn't that amazing. But he got so Skeptico got Lady Bird Johnson's death correct, and even said from natural causes, which is being you know, more or less. She right. was still alive. She died this year. Yeah. There will be a higher than normal number of strong hurricanes in the Atlantic. I don't think that happened this year. God. Below average. Castro will remain alive and in power, but his public appearances will be rare. That was there true. You go. Good one. That was a pretty mm-hmm. good one. And here's under miscellaneous. He says, Sylvia Brown, John Edward, and others will continue to appear on shows such as Montel and Larry King Live pretending to talk to dead people. Sylvia will still not make good on her promise to try for Randy's million. That's true. Mm. That did come mm-hmm. True. So I think that 
that uh, Skeptico oh. did better than the Psychics this year. Oh. It did better than Nikki, that's for sure. I agree with that. It's also uh, useful to consider what the Psychics did not predict. There were a lot of things that happened this year, lots of big news stories, and the Psychics didn't predict any of the really big things that happened. Uh, I, no one predicted as far – again, it's, it's always hard to make negative statements because somebody out there you know, might find something. But as far as I could find, I didn't – no psychic was taking credit for predicting the assassination of Benazir Bhutto, which happened recently. No one was taking credit for the military success of the surge in Iraq. And I mentioned that because there were lots of predictions about the troops coming home, about the surge's failure, about blah, blah, blah. But none of them actually said what what happened. Similarly, there were lots of stem cell predictions going around, mainly about a resurgence of the controversy or curing diseases with stem cells, you know, kind of obvious or just uh, or, or redundant things. But nobody predicted that the stem cell controversy would essentially go away because of a breakthrough in using adult-derived stem cells. Nobody predicted that either. And also, no psychic predicted the stunning, absolutely amazing, 16 and 0 regular season of the New England Patriots that just concluded. That's last right. <laughs> Although I predicted that. Anybody who knew it was going on predicted. Oh yeah. You would think they would go for more sports predictions because the you know a finite number of outcomes. Right. You know you'd think that uh, they would try at least and uh, play the uh, play the odds. You know, yeah. better than some of the other things that they come up Steve. with. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Steve, what, what was that? What were people saying about um, the Patriots? Like. Very early in the season. That they were going to be... Yeah, there was high expectations. Even preseason, there was a buzz about New England being amazing this year. It really would not have been a stretch to say that they were going to have an amazing year or whatever. You know, psychics did not predict the Virginia Tech massacre back in April. Oh, yeah. That's right. The the, the deadliest shooting in... uh, School shooting in U.S. history. Anything else happened this year? Don Imus got fired. Yeah, Imus getting fired. uh, And rehired. And rehired. And and Penn Jillette uh, lost his radio show. Yeah. And uh, there was a ghost captured on a gas station camera. The blue ghost. Nobody, <laughs> nobody uh-huh. I read something ghost. about that. For me, the, the, stem, the stem cell break, though, was, was really huge for me. And I'm hoping that, it's st- that it really does still pan out. Because it's, it's not a done deal by any, by any means at this point, I would say. But it, but it does look really good. No, and, but uh, it's an amazing me, breakthrough. Would, and just again, just yeah. to remind our listeners... Uh, researchers found a way of turning, basically making four mutations, you know, changing four four genes in an adult stem cell and giving it, as far as they could tell so far, all of the properties of an embryonic-derived stem cell, which has the potential of ending the controversy about using embryonic stem cells because you wouldn't need to. You can get them from adults. Amazing. So what predictions do you guys want to make for 2008? I predict I will rock harder than I did in 2007. <laughs> That's a dirty lie. Oh. <laughs> That's what we call a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> is that what that is? <laughs> right, I, have, I have a couple predictions. One, I predict there will be a major commercial airline disaster in March involving an airline with red in its logo and resulting in 180 deaths. That's my Ooh. very specific psychic That's prediction. pretty specific. That's very specific. You Does it have to be so number. morbid? I also predict yeah, that by the end of 2008, the SGU will exceed 50,000 listeners. <laughs> oh, that was an upper. Okay. And Good my third you. prediction is I predict the New England Patriots will win the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> uh, Inconceivable. Inconceivable. Okay. I predict... 
I predict that they will finally this sometime this year finally find microbial evidence of uh, life on Mars. Ah. That they'll make an announcement saying that we have the evidence. No more guessing. No more assuming. They have it. Well, I will give you props if that one turns out to be true, Evan. Well, yeah. there you go. I predict that Oprah will come up with a new form of bullcrap to peddle to her audience. Uh, what do you mean by new form? New, new specifics or like a new entire genre of bullcrap? Hey, I didn't ask you for specifics, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Mr. March reddened the logo. Yeah, really. I predict that uh, Lindsay Lohan is going to die. Ooh. Wow. Ouch. Yep. I also predict that the internet is going to catch on. <laughs> the internet will finally catch on? Yep. You crazy kids in your inner tubes. <laughs> Smell-O-Vision will make a return. <laughs> Smell-O-Vision will replace television. <laughs> That's an obscure Bugs Bunny reference. Come on, Bob. Throw one out there. Um, something I predict, nano. Something. I predict um, September 3rd, 2008, the world's fastest supercomputer, a petaflop supercomputer will be announced. That's 10 to the 15 operations a second. And also uh, that world-famous haunted house known as Haunted Corn will have 8,000 customers or zero customers. And no rain. <laughs> but nothing in between. Nothing in between. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I predict that Rebecca's show will get picked up and she will be successful with it. No, don't jinx me, Jay. Jinx. <laughs> I officially jinxed her show. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> I hope you were crossing your fingers when you said it. All right, let's get Should to we go on to some real news now? Okay. The next news item. This one is about Steve Irwin, who is dead. And he died this year, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it was nope, nobody predicted that. 2006, nobody predicted that. wasn't it? Oh, you're right. 2006. He was a 2006, like and around Labor Day. I know Day. that because Nikki, psychic to the stars, says she predicted it. Was that that long ago? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Former croc hunter Steve Irwin is the is in the news again. He is this the uh, target of John Edward, who wants to contact, make contact with Steve Irwin. John Edward is the so-called medium from crossing over fame. Apparently, Edward was a friend of the Irwins, you know, be- before he passed away, and uh, his wife, Steve Irwin's wife, is open to John Edward making contact with her husband. Wow, that's so pathetic. That's pathetic. I'm I'm convinced that John Edward actually does know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. This total crap and oh, yeah. fraud. So the fact that he could do this to somebody who he says is a friend. Is just yeah, it's just so beyond like anything. I mean, I'm a pretty awful person, I'll admit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. even <laughs> okay, you guys didn't have to agree. So <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. But even I would not do that. That's ridiculous. That's below. John Edward is a jerk. Now, do you think that he's actually going to say, "Okay, Steve's in the room with us now." Steve, Steve, what do you want? Every- Steve says, "Crikey." Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve, what's what does the afterlife look like? It's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is yeah. sad. I feel it, I agree with you, Rebecca. I think this is heartless exploitation. The fact it's exploiting someone that he claims to be a, f- a friend with makes it all the more despicable. Yeah, and you know, because she she is going through what what you know widows typically go through. She said that um, I know Steve's gone, but in some way he is still here. I feel him, I sense him. 
yeah, you know, that's what everyone feels, you know, after someone who's really close to you has passed away. And you, you certainly have the desire to reconnect. And that's you know, people in the, in, the, in the grief stage are exploited by these mediums. It's just the, whole, the whole endeavor is just completely exploitive. But she's a believer. She says that I've invited everyone who's a skeptic because you can't leave after seeing what John does without having some appreciation for his work. Wow. Oh yeah, I appreciate what a gigantic con artist he is. Right, right. It does take a special sort of person to have such a complete lack of empathy. That's really sad. I mean, she she's attended one of his shows and watched him do his four hours of, you know, all this bullshit that's reduced down to his show, and she she bought it. You know. Uh, the next news item is about creationism in Texas. Texas is just now is now the new target. Uh, for creationists, because the uh, the governor is apparently a creationist, is is definitely pushing this agenda, and is doing it through um, the education system. Recently, the Institute for Creation Research, the ICR, they've been around for a while, moved their headquarters from California to Dallas, oh. and now that they're in Texas, they uh, have asked for approval from the the Board of Higher Education in Texas to have the ability to grant a master's degree in creation science. It's even better than that basket-weaving right. degree I have. Right. So, so then what do you do with that? But what, what do you study? Yeah, that's a good question. Paper your bathroom. Well, not only what do you do with it, but what do you study? I mean, right. what, so, so you, what, when you, before you, the classes you go to, what, is how to debunk evolution? Is that it? Is that what you learn? Yeah, you turn in your thesis paper. It's got three words on it. God did it. Oh, there you go. Here's your degree. Actually, I, I believe that that's one word now. They've shortened it. Uh, it's just God did it. God did it is one it's word like now. God mm-hmm. did it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, kind of like that other word <laughs> that begins that way. Now, the, they haven't decided yet. They actually they had the meeting where this was brought up, but they tabled it until the end of January. Uh, they did not grant authority to ICR, but they did not oppose granting it. So it's still being debated. So we had the window of opportunity to shower Texas with scorn and uh, and protests while they're considering considering this. That strategy, by the way, is is working. You know, when when these you know, local school boards or or state school boards or agencies where these creationism or intelligent design issues come up, you know, focusing immediate attention on them and showering them with negative attention actually squelches these these endeavors, these moves, pretty quickly. This strategy is actually paying off. I would really l- love to know, like what. They think the benefit is going to be. Are you going to, you know, wh- what do you do? Where do you go with that? Do you become a preacher after that? What do you? It's just trying to give legitimacy. legitimacy. Yeah, it's just a, w- it. a way of getting legitimacy. That's all it is. I wonder how many people are interested in actually getting the, the degree. I'm sure a lot of people are. Yeah. One more quick news item. This, again, is under our continuing theme of how pseudoscience kills. This one comes from Bangkok, Thailand where uh, 4,000 soldiers who have been deployed in Patani have been ordered under penalty of punishment, including three nights behind bars, are being forced to wear a protective magical amulet. Apparently in Thailand, wearing amulets is very popular. It's just part of the, uh, the culture. These, were, these are amulets consecrated by the late Luang Pu Jiam, and uh, so wearing them has been a compulsory part of the uniform. Mm. Now, the soldiers don't seem to mind it very much because many of them believe in it. Um, others will wear it just because they don't want to spend three nights in the Huskau. One, one private is quoted as saying in this article, I am happy to wear it because it will protect me from harm and also from punishment. Wow. 
Well, that's probably true. Yeah. The second part Punishment is part. Don't, don't, don't you just yeah. want to harm people that claim that? <laughs> punish them. Here's a machete. Cut your arm. <laughs> Try to cut your arm. Yeah, right. You remember that guy? <laughs> I got my amulet. Wow. That guy was great. I mean, sad. Very sad. Right. One of the soldiers was quoted as saying, My Luang Pu Jiam amulet protected me during the Tai Lao conflict, known as the Chong Bok Battle. In 1988, <laughs> and I hope Wang Ku Jam will continue to help me. <laughs> yeah, one of them said that you know, yeah, we can't get a bulletproof vest, but at least I got the amulet. You know, I'd rather have yeah. the bulletproof vest. <laughs> I'd <laughs> rather see yeah. magical <laughs> amulet, bulletproof vest. Put, put, put your amulet. hand up and stop the bullet. If you wore, yeah, yeah but if you have the amulet, you can wish for more wishes, <laughs> and then you can wish for a bulletproof vest. So it's actually better. There you go. But oh. what's the amulet made of? It's metal. Dreams. What if you had to have Lar and titanium? What if you had Adams. a thousand? Yeah, I'd, I'd get like a thousand amulets and put them all over me. Yeah, it's like chain mail. <laughs> that might actually do something. You'd Protect overload you from, you, on the magic. From ultraviolet radiation or something. Worth the risk. Well, let's move on to your emails and questions. The first email comes from Sean Rafferty at the University of Alabama. And he writes, Hey guys, I guess that you probably get a lot of email like this, but as a professor, I can think of a half a dozen or so times when a student has told me that I made a difference in their lives, and nothing in my career so far has given me more personal and professional fulfillment. So, I'm listening to your 2007 wrap-up today, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thanks. You have all made a difference in my life, in the way I look at the world, and in the way I teach my students. I recommend your podcast in every class, and I've even seen students cite it, meaning they actually were listening. I look forward to seeing what you come up with in 2008, and I hope to meet some or all of you at some point, maybe at a TAM or something. Deepest respects and regards, Sean. And that's how to get your email read on the Skeptic Guide. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, now, I do uh, appreciate that you know, we do get a lot of emails like that, and we appreciate every single one. So I just want to say thank you to Sean and to everybody who has taken the time to, to write us complimentary emails. But I did include this one also because I wanted to mention that we are definitely interested in producing content that is useful for teachers and in, for classroom use. So if you any teachers out there who listen to the show who are interested in, in having content uh, that they could use in their classroom, let us know what would be most helpful to you, what kind of things or segments you would like to see. And I, you know, can't make any promises about exactly what we're going to do or how we're going to use it, but we are definitely interested in hearing your suggestions about that. And we can try to curse less for that episode. Yes. Maybe. And also, right. any teachers, any teachers, professors, or anyone out there who thinks that um, they'd like us to speak at their at their school or university, please feel free to contact us. We're definitely looking for speaking engagements for us, right, guys? Right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's a good point, Jay. We are. Yep. Are very interested in 2008 in going on the college lecture circuit or even high school or whatever. Either some or all of us would be happy to go to your school and give a scintillating presentation on science and skepticism. It would be a lot of fun. And then later on, you can get drunk with me and Rebecca. That's right. If you're 18 or older, or 21. While Evan and I point at you and laugh. (laughs) (laughs) The next email comes from Mark in Akron, Ohio, and he writes. I happened to see a commercial on cable TV channel that appears to be a new twist to an old scam. The ad was for Kenoki Detox Foot Pads. These are special pads that stick to the bottom of your feet at night. The pads absorb all types of toxins from your body, such as mercury, lead, pesticides, and likely also types of bad juju. 
Ooh. The pad looks like a funny Kotex made to fit your foot. <laughs> I am sure the makers of the product are rolling in the aisle laughing at the gullibility of America and unfortunately also rolling in the money from sales of this scam. He gives the link to the website. And he says, one reason ads such as this are seen on TV is the simple fact that most of America is scientifically illiterate and will believe the pseudoscience in the ad. The second reason is non-primetime ads on cable TV channels are extremely cheap to place. Enjoy, Mark. Well, thanks for sending this, Mark. I think one or two other people also sent this to us. I happen to have seen the commercial. I saw it. You saw the actual commercial. Yeah, and it was, in, in one regard, it was great. Like, they did a really good job of piling in as much woo as they could. I mean, no, to people <laughs> like us, it, you know, obviously, you look at it like, oh, every single thing they said was complete crap. But they did a good job, and they, they actually spent some money on the production of the commercial. There was a lot of computer graphics, like showing the toxins you know, coming out of the body, and then they, they were talking about ions or some type of thing. It has, like, you know, you know, it puts ions into your body, and they show the guy peel the pad off, and... It's like uh, you know, it's like black where the guy's foot was. Ew. Like that's all oh, the crap God. coming out. And then they do a really nasty zoom in where they show you like the particles of stuff that came out of your feet that looks like fungus. It's really disgusting, but it, it's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's awesome. That's great. What, what interested me about this was, as you said, Jay, the number of different types of pseudoscience they packed into one product. Yeah. Is this it, related it, to quantum physics at all? It was clearly deliberate. Mm-hmm. They clearly set out to say, all right, let's. how many different kinds of scams can we pack into this one thing? So like right on their website, it says, did you know there are more than 60 acupuncture points in your feet which have a direct connection to your internal organs? Like the kidney, the liver, the neck, and the stomach. Yeah. Um, uh, Right. Did you know that? So it's acupuncture. It's reflexology. That's basically what reflexology is. And then lots of vague references to toxins, which is a – that's the detox pseudoscience. It's very, very – you know, common. Just, you know, try to get people to be fearful of these nonspecific toxins like the ad on their website says, you know, you're eating it every day in your food and you're breathing it in your air. It's all over the place. Your, your body's constantly being assaulted by toxins. And, of course, their product will magically remove it through your feet. Into yeah. a mechanism. mechanism is... is yeah, right, to this little pet. <laughs> mechanism, don't get technical. Do that. they have a tampon version? Oh, sorry. But it, they also have, of course, God, the natural not. is all over there. The natural way to assist your body in the removal of blah, 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 whatever, whatever ails you. Uh, it's got some Chinese stuff going on there. You know, they got so you know, appeal to an ancient foreign culture. You know, things always sound more interesting when it's from another culture. It says that uh, the, the pads will remove heavy metals, metabolic waste, toxins, microscopic parasites, mucus, chemicals, and cellulite. Ew. Ooh, and cellulite. cellulite. Steve, is there really snot on my feet? <laughs> Depends. <laughs> what are you doing? So I'm watching watch the commercial, and then I'm sitting there, and I do my quickie one-two analysis. Okay, first of all, do they put something in that pad to make it turn black? I wonder if they actually created them with the scam involved in mind. Like, okay, we want this thing to turn black after somebody wears it for eight hours while they're in bed. Well, it, I don't must. know what's in there, but off the top of my head... Just put a little bit of, uh, was it iodine or something? Um, yeah, iodine. Yeah, iodine. Yeah. So, yeah, you put a, I think that's it. You put a little iodine in there, it'll turn black just from the yeah, sweat of your true. feet. 
And of course, they have the the obligatory testimonials with like yeah. the people. <laughs> Got to have I've those. Tri- I've tried other so-called detox packages, but they don't even come close to providing the same results as the Kenoki detox foot pads. So don't settle for less. Yeah, I'm sure that that lady said that. <laughs> I've read letters to Penthouse that are more believable than that. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably written letters to Penthouse. <laughs> fake. More than that. These were all those true. Were fake. <laughs> <laughs> Women never fake it. They were signed by a notary, okay? <laughs> All right, one more email. This one comes from Greg Tolley in, from Tennessee. And Greg writes, Hello, skeptics. I have recently watched the Cosmo series and read some of the Ender's Game books. This has made me consider travel through deep space, but I do not know too much about the subject. If possible, could you tell me about the feasibility of some ideas these series have conjured for me? First, from what I understand of relativistic speeds, if we ignore the stresses of rapid acceleration, one could travel from the Earth to a star, to any star in the universe in the blink of an eye, in subjective time. So, though time would pass for everyone else, a person could travel to anywhere in their lifetime. Now, I know almost nothing about quantum mechanics, you and every psychic out there, but from your show, you have talked about quantum entanglement. Does this mean that even though I may be on a star light years away, we could transmit messages instantly? instantaneously similar to the Ansible in Ender's Game. Finally, from what I know, the warping of space-time would be would seem to be possible. Would it be possible for humans to ever warp space such that we can move light years by moving only a few kilometers subjectively? I mean this not as the warp drive from Star Trek, but as a way to move at relativistic speed without the need of a long-term acceleration. Well, Bob, you could not resist this email. Yeah, let's just hand this no. one right over to Bob. Yeah, go, Bob. <laughs> no, Steve, I'm sure you could do a, a good job with this one too. But this, yeah, this hits um, a f- several interesting points. Uh, stuff that I, that I love here. The first one was the um, if you ignore the stresses of rapid acceleration, could you travel from Earth to a star in the un- another star in the universe in a blink of an eye? And that's true with time dilation. Once you get up to significant fractions of the speed of light, time dilation really kicks in, and uh, subjectively, you could travel. You could travel to the end of the galaxy or to the Andromeda galaxy, and subjectively, very little time would have passed for you. But of course, the kicker is, of course, that by by the time you get back to Earth, thousands or millions or billions of years would have passed. So, if you don't really care about the fate of the Earth and all your friends that you leave behind, mm-hmm. uh, you could, and I believe, as it said in uh, Cosmos, you could circumnavigate the known universe. And I, I think um, Sagan said something like 50 years or something. If, yeah, you know, if I recall, if, if you were accelerating at a constant 1G, it would take 57 years to circumnavigate the known universe. Hmm. Right, yeah, and of course you could... Which is a lifetime, yeah. Right, and you can come back to your origin point. Of course, you wouldn't be able to stop because you'd be going damn fast by that time. <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, that, that is true. That, that is absolutely true. And uh, I've always thought that, um, you know, say... You know, say whatever. Life extension pans out, and you know you're ten thousand years old, and you're just totally. You just want to end it. The last thing I would do is I would just I would just circumnavigate the known universe and however long it takes, and you could literally do it. You could you could travel pretty much anywhere you want. Um, just as long as you do, yeah, as long as you don't care about coming back, right? Or, right. Yeah, at some point, I, I'm so, at some point, well, I know. Could I you travel care. to black? Could you, could you visit you know black holes? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But not jump in and out of black holes. You can jump in and out of black holes doing that? No. No, if you no, want to turn to totally spaghetti, different. just keep just head right for it. But um Bob, what d- what about um you know how uh, we 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 said this in a previous episode where there's parts of the universe that are so far away that we the light won't actually get to us because they're moving away faster. Right. Do you think that at some point, well, 
this is going to be, I don't know how to put this without sounding totally ignorant, but is at some point, is the universe going to be expanding so fast that you won't be able to get to the other side or to the you know, to a particular point? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, are, aren't there parts of space now that, that we could never actually uh, detect because uh, because it, it's, it's past that threshold? If it hasn't yeah, yet... Yeah, well, we, we think that there is, but it's hard we to be sure. Right. You and can't see it, right? So right. probably the observable universe is only part of the entire universe because there are parts that have already that are already beyond our our envelope, our light envelope, right. or the, what we could ever get to by traveling even at the speed of light. Right. You'd have, so you'd have to exceed the speed of light, which isn't going to happen. So yeah, that's right. true. There are areas you, you would just keep traveling away, and you know the uh, expansion of the universe would just keep creating more space for you to travel in, and you'd never really be getting to the to the end. So the universe could be infinite, we'd never know it. Yeah, but it probably isn't. Yeah, I don't think anyone really... I wouldn't waste all that time that. by traveling just to just to see the end. I mean, i just reprogram my brain so I'm not bored anymore. Yeah, just delete... <laughs> yeah, I saw this movie 10,000 times. Just delete any memory of that movie and I could watch it fresh. <laughs> yeah, like imagine being able imagine being able to watch Napoleon Dynamite like five, six times in a row like a, you know, like a kid could and, and enjoy it. <laughs> How was that, by the way, Jay? That movie's awesome. I mean, watching it five, six times. I loved it. <laughs> like I had to memorize kid, the whole thing. Like a kid, right. <laughs> the second one uh, references quantum entanglement, and uh, that's, that's pretty interesting stuff. He says, um, does this mean that even though I may, I may be on a star light years away, we could transmit messages instantaneously? No, it doesn't. Quantum entanglement may seem on the surface that it, that it could allow that, but it, but it really doesn't. The idea is with quantum entanglement is that you've got, say you've got um, a particle that decays and releases two two particles in op- in opposite directions those particles under certain circumstances can be entangled in that they are correlated in a way that you in order to describe it quantum mechanically you have to reference both of these guys so there's some sort of connection between these two so if say for example the the parent particle had zero spin uh in order you know because of conservation of momentum and things if one particle is spin up, the other one has to be spin down. They both can't be spin up or spin down because then you'd be breaking all sorts of laws. It'd be pretty nasty. So if these things, and this has been proven, if these things are, say, you know, a foot away or 10 light years away, if one is determined to be spin up, the other one would automat- would have to be spin down. If somebody m- measured it at that point, then it would, it, would be, it would be spin down. So there's some sort of correlation going on uh, between these particles, even though they're, they're separated by... You know, it could be millions of light years. There's some sort of correlation going on, and people people have taken that to mean that well, then you could communicate somehow uh, these vast ins- distances instantaneously, and and you re- you really can't do that. Uh, there's various funky ways you could explain that. Um, one I one I discovered today. It's called the no cloning theorem, and uh, I gave that a read, and boy, I I it's going to take many more readings for me to to fully understand that. But we don't need to resort to some to some of those ideas. Basically, the idea is you can't transmit information using right. this process because if, so, you know, if you determine that this is spin up, it's still random. You don't know what it, whether it's going to be spin up or spin down. So it's random. So that doesn't mean you can transmit, you know, let's say the zeros and one bits of information to this other guy light years away because it's still a random process. So there's no, there's no, way, to, there's no way to do that. Yeah, you can't transmit informa- actual information faster than the speed of light in right. with this method. However, it can be used theoretically as a way of encrypting messages because of the entanglement. You know, so like one particle 
could, right. can, can, could contain the encryption for the other one. But the information would still have to trans- be transmitted at normal light speeds. At, right. Yeah, there's, right. Yeah, there are practical uses for this. And one, another one is the, uh, the quantum teleportation you might have heard about. And that involves using various entangled states. And then a conventional means of communication um, mm-hmm. is, is required. So even in, in that quantum teleportation may sound you know, fantastic, but it's still you're not, you're not doing anything uh, that's, that's you know, violating uh, relativity or, or anything that Einstein came up with. Right, um, Einstein still still reigns. Right, mm. and the last one is interesting. Uh, would it be possible? Well, Bob, before you leave that one, though, I just yeah. wanted to mention he mentions Ender's Game as yeah. a, a science fiction that uses it. I, I'm actually personally familiar with two other science fiction stories that use the exact same. Oh, there's many concept. Where yeah, there's there's many. There's two that I've read myself. One is the Gap series by Stephen R. Donaldson, and the other one is the uh, the Golden Compass trilogy. They, which I recently read, really? and by the way, is an awesome, tr- awesome science fiction for skeptics. It's like Lord of the Rings with a hardcore skeptical message. So I mm. really recommend it. But in that, there were they used you know a crystal lodestone where it's entangled and you split it in two, and so if you, two people have a piece of it, you can communicate instantaneously uh. across. Even across meta universe, meta worlds, but uh, as 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 you discussed, that wouldn't actually work. Interesting. That's a highly I highly recommend reading that series of books. They're fantastic. Yeah, I've read I've read a couple in there. Was very good stuff. Uh, The last question from Greg was: Would it be possible for humans to ever warp space such that we can move light years by moving only a few kilometers subjectively? Um, Again, that um, that seems incredibly. Unlikely, according to Lawrence Krauss, who we interviewed recently, you would need huge amounts, huge amounts of mass to to, mm-hmm. to, to be able to warp space. Now, the idea is that you would ex- you would expand space behind the ship and then and then kind of compress it in front of the ship, so that essentially you're you'd be moving through space, but but you would ne- you never you're not really moving, so rel- relativity doesn't really come into effect because you're kind of traveling along with with space. So you're never you really locally you're not moving at all. So none of yeah. that stuff comes into play. The problem is the problem is of course there's always some problem with stuff like this is that you would need gargantuan amounts of mass. And I've I found some discrepancies about how much mass you would need. I believe Krauss said you would need you know something like on the order of the mass of the universe uh, worth of energy in order to do this type of thing. Other sources I found said it was uh, merely the you know the mass of uh, of black holes that you'd have to manipulate in order to do this. Uh, which is, you know, of course, still gargantuan. And the mm-hmm. other one, and and so that's if that wasn't bad enough, this one that I think is the real killer is that you would actually have to. You can't just, you know, compress space in front of you and just move along. You would actually have to map out your path in order so that so that you can compress it properly. And to do that, you would have to send a normal speed of light signal through space. And, and to, to determine exactly the, you know, the, the type of space you're traveling through in order to compress it properly. So that's, mm-hmm. so th- that's like the ultimate limit then. That would limit you because you've got that signal. You've got to map it out first. In Star Wars, they had a nav computer for that or something. Yeah, but still. Yeah, can you just use your Heisenberg compensators? You, yeah, you come, up, you come up with them and uh, we're all set. <laughs> just, stay home, just stay home and play Call of Duty 4, you know, whatever. Right. There we go. <laughs> so dilithium crystals won't cut it, huh? No. Allow me to just say at this time, nerds. Yeah, <laughs> nerds. <laughs> okay. You guys should be ashamed of yourself. I found a magazine last week called Geek. That's it. It's just called Geek. And, and you opened really it up and there was a picture of you in there. 
No, it <laughs> looks good. A picture of you guys inside. <laughs> <laughs> it actually looked good. All like, we're on the cover. Science, and, science fiction, and technical doodads. It looks pretty cool. Hey, geeks rule the world. All the newest right? fanny packs. <laughs> what was this? What was no, the centerfold? The new quad core computer or something? One one tiny update on the whole fanny pack thing. Since you bring it up, is that our some of our British listeners have and Australian listeners have pointed out that fanny doesn't mean what it means in America over in the rest what of the world. I think I mentioned world. that during our initial conversation. What, what's, didn't a, I? what's a fanny? No. It's, you don't know what a fanny is? It's a few inches forward. <laughs> on really? girls. On girls. <laughs> oh, on, on girls. girls. Yeah, it means girly bits. It's a nappy dugout. <laughs> so f- what? So fanny pack takes on a whole other meaning a depending very on where you go. Meaning, a very different meaning. Talking your fanny pack, governor. <laughs> I predict in 2008, fanny packs will still be stupid and lame. But utility belts are going to take off, baby. <laughs> take literally and figuratively. Uh-huh, literally, yeah. Fly into the air. Good luck with that. To infinity and beyond. I'm taking orders for the skeptical utility belt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just as soon as I decide. Steve, you know what you we should do? We should, we should make one. We we do know a, a guy that's a leathersmith. Yeah, it's true. We do. We, we of know course you know a leathersmith. We know a tanner. Does he make your costumes for when you're let out in the me, woods hitting each other with foam swords? Not Maybe. Please, Rebecca. <laughs> Maybe. Steve, we should, we should have him make one, and then we will take the prototype and we'll auction it off at TAM6. There we go. Ooh. And we'll, we'll wear them ourselves at TAM6. Oh, geez. Especially Rebecca. I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, right. I'd have to, we, will all be, we will all you, be sporting you, utility belts. I'd have to sign Rebecca, off I'm gonna, on that. I'm, I'm going I'm to put initials on yours. Rebecca Angela Watson. Raw. <laughs> Angela is my new middle name. Well, it has to be because otherwise it you know, doesn't say I thought, raw. No, no, no. My, my, my middle name is awesome, actually. <laughs> Whatever. Awesome as long as it says Watson. raw. <laughs> awesome Watson. <laughs> Can you put a little like condom holder in mine or something? Not a little one. <laughs> there, there will be a small Velcro pouch, which will be multifunction. You could put whatever okay. you want in there. Okay. Well, let's move on to science or fiction. It's time for science or fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts, two genuine and one fictitious, and then I challenge my panel of esteemed skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. Are you guys ready for this week? Absolutely. First one of 2008. Let's see how you do. Yes, Mr. Trebek. Got a theme this week. I know how you love themes. The theme this week is evolution. Ooh. Cool. Ready? Yeah. Yes. Number one. Scientists have filled in a missing gap in the evolution of the RNA protein system from just RNA. Item number two, the Journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology has just published a position paper in which they advocate the teaching of intelligent design alongside Darwinian evolution in public school science classrooms. And item number three, sociobiologist E.O. Wilson has proposed a controversial mechanism for the evolution of social insects that involves colony-level selection rather than individual selection. Evan, you have the honor of going first in 2008. Thank you, thank you. Well, being an expert in all three of these uh, areas, I can tell you 
that uh, number one, science scientists have filled uh, in a missing gap in the evolution of RNA protein systems from RNA. I say that one is fiction. Already? There Jay? you go. Good job. You said that very the first one is fiction. Yep. RNA, fiction. I'm, I'm unclear on it, Steve. Scientists Go have on. filled in a missing gap in the evolution of RNA protein systems for RNA. From, From RNA. RNA. That's correct. So at one point in the history of life on Earth, there was just RNA. And then at some point, there was RNA making protein, which was then helping the RNA function. A very critical early step in evolution of life on Earth. And they filled in a missing gap in that evolutionary process. Okay. Well, that not ringing a bell, um, that sounds totally plausible to me. The Journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology, wow, that is a wordy title, have just published a position paper in which they advocate the teaching of intelligent design alongside Darwinian evolution in public school and science classrooms. All right, so the question here is, is the Journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology full of shit or not? (laughs) And I don't think any of us know the answer to that right now. The last one, E.O. Wilson has proposed a controversial mechanism for the evolution of social insects that involves colony-level selection rather than individual selection. I'm going to go with uh, ah, I'm going to go with the Journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology one as the fake. Okay, Bob. Yeah, Jay's right about two in that it all comes down to this um, this society here, this uh, this journal. And it sounds, just the title sounds sketchy for me. The Journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology. That, that sounds whack to me. So I, it, so I think they, that probably just goes along with other things that they've done to suggest that. So uh, to me, that seems like science, if you want to call it that. Um, E.O. Wilson, colony-level selection rather than individual selection. So how would colonies of insects... Evolve instead of hmm. How would they? How do the colonies interact? It's controversial. I don't know. Um, let's see. Scientists number one. That's this one sounds a little sketchy to me. Um, missing gap in the evolution of RNA. That would be pretty huge if they if they did that. Um, but how? But how would they determine that? And is that oh my he, god! He, I know. All right, <laughs> chill. I'll pick one. One is um, the RNA protein synthesis. Synthesis is fiction. Okay, Rebecca. Okay. I have a friend, a very, very good friend who works at Harvard on RNA. So I'm going to be, I'm going to feel really stupid if I get this wrong, but I think that that's science. I think that the, I think that the Federation of American Sciences for Experimental Biology, I think that they're actually for real. So I'm going to say that the second item is fiction. Alrighty. So we got, we're split on one and two. You all agree that sociologist E.O. Wilson has proposed a controversial mechanism for the evolution of social insects that involves colony level selection rather than individual selection. And that one is, is science. <sighs> nice. You're all safe so far. Hooray. E.O. Wilson, you know, is actually an, an excellent author. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with him. He, he wrote the book Consilience about science, but his even though he writes on sort of big scientific philosophical topics, his area of research is primarily ants or the group that they belong to, Hymenoptera. 
Now, within the Hymenoptera, there are some uh, some insects that uh, have social systems, you know, like ants and, and bees that have social colonies. And the question's always been, what's so, what evolutionary selective pressures are at work that will allow for, for example, the existence of drones that forego their own uh, mm. mating in order to support the colony so some other, you know, bee or ant can, can mate and pass on the genes? Part of the answer to that is that the social insects uh, often have a type of genetics called haplodiploidy, where cousins or like half-brothers and sisters share a lot of genetic material. So you can argue that this is kin selection, meaning that you are maybe sacrificing yourself so that your genes could get passed down through some kin, some closely related member of your of your close group. And this is even more true in in these types of uh, in these types of insects. However, what E.O. Wilson is arguing is that that does not is not, that is not a sufficient explanation for this phenomenon because you know many haplodiploid in, insects are not social. It's a it's still a very rare occurrence. So what he's saying is that perhaps selective pressures are acting at the level of the colony itself, and that those colonies that display this eusociality, which is the name for this cooperation, you know, among colonies, use sociology, sociality outcompetes those that didn't, and that there was actually selective pressures occurring at the level of the colony itself. This is controversial because, you know, the conventional wisdom is that evolution doesn't really work that way. It, it has to work at the level of individuals. And what critics, even of this you know, recent paper of Wilson's, are saying is that his proposal doesn't explain why, within that system, with, within pressures at the colony level, why the system would not be sabotaged by an individual who is just going to engage in behavior that's in their own personal reproductive interests and not the interest of the whole colony. So that's always the problem, is that the, that the individual can always subvert the, uh, this, the system by doing what's good for them, and that selective pressures would always favor that because you know those are the ones that are going to pass their genes on. So it still has to work at the individual level. There has to be some kin selection going on. Um, so anyway, that's a controversy, you know, and, uh, and Wilson, E.O. Wilson... You recently wrote the paper coming down on that one side, so we'll have to watch and see how this plays out. But it's a very, very interesting sort of debate that goes on within evolutionary circles. Uh, number one, scientists have filled in a missing gap in the evolution of RNA protein systems from RNA, and that one is also science. Uh, this, is, this is a very, this is very interesting because this is a you know an area of, of early evolution that is very. You know, poorly understood, and for which there's very little evidence, obviously, because it's something that happened in the deep, dark recesses of uh, of, of early you know, life on Earth. I, I found this one interesting because th- this is this is often a target for you know intelligent design proponents and creationists who say you know talk about like you know cells pro- popping up spontaneously, and they're really bypassing you know, millions of years and, and many steps in the evolution of life. One of those steps being that you know, at some point in time, there was just a molecule that could replicate itself, RNA, and RNA did everything that it that it needs to do in order to reproduce itself. But then, at some point, RNA molecules gained the ability to control or guide the formation of proteins from amino acids, and then those proteins took over some of the processes that the RNA was doing by itself 
or um, be, began to facilitate, you know, enzymatically make more efficient the processes that RNA was doing. And then that led to this cooperation between RNA and proteins, which was a pretty big step in, in the evolution of life on this planet. Mm. Um, well, now a uh, scientist looking at the structure of proteins from a very primitive fungus. You know, and funguses were, were one of the earliest types of, of cells to arrive, arise on Earth. And they've learned, uh, they've learned some things about how the first uh, proteins may have interacted with RNA by comparing it to other primitive uh, life that does not have this relationship, where, it's, where the RNA is undergoing certain chemical reactions. And in this fungus, the protein has taken over those, those properties or those, those processes from RNA. So it's, it's not obviously looking at life that's actually like fossilized or whatever that's actually you know, 4 billion years old. It's looking at very primitive but still living, still extant life forms that show how the pathway that this evolution may have taken. Steve, who did the study? This study was done by Barbara Golden. Do you know her? No. Where is she? In uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, it's a scientists from Purdue University and the University of Texas at Austin, including Barbara Golden. Published today in the journal Nature. The, which means that the journal for the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology have just published a position paper in which they advocate the teaching of intelligent design alongside Darwinian evolution in public school science classrooms is fiction. Awesome. Thank goodness. Uh-huh. What they did do was publish a position paper advocating for the teaching of evolution to the exclusion, specifically the exclusion of intelligent design and creationism. Hooray. Yeah. Now this is a, it is, the name of the organization is a terrible mouthful, but uh, they are, and it is a, like a coalition of associations. And they actually, this was a position paper that was published by a coalition of 17 organizations, such as the National Academy of Sciences, the American Institute of Physics, and the National Science Teachers Association, among others, published in this journal, saying essentially that the introduction of non-science, such as creationism and intelligent design, undermines the fundamentals of science education. They write, this is a quote taken from Gerald Weissman, who is the editor-in-chief of this journal. In an age when people have benefited so greatly from science and reason, it is ironic that some still reject the tools that have afforded them the privilege to reject them. So this was a very positive thing, and I do think that it is a good thing that mainstream scientific organizations, especially those promoting science education, are unflinching, unafraid, and bold in saying we must teach science and we cannot teach nonsense or pseudoscience or non-science. Damn straight. He also added, this is a fine line, the bottom line is that the world is round, humans evolved from an extinct species, and Elvis is dead. Yeah. That was Wiseman said well, that. Elvis Elvis is dead? Oh. <laughs> Elvis yeah. Presley, not Elvis Costello. Oh. Phew. I know. I often get those confused, too. <laughs> scared me. <laughs> now, Evan. Hi. This brings us to a very bittersweet portion of our show this week. You were going to read us last week's, it's actually now, what, two weeks two week, ago? Two weeks, yeah, two weeks ago. Puzzle, and tell yep. us the answer. Okay. So the puzzle was this. 
two famous skeptical events are related. One lasted about 18 seconds. The other happened four years later and lasted about 58 seconds. What were they? And the answer was the 18-second happening was that of the uh, Zapruder, famous Zapruder film, you know, the JFK assassination film that I'm sure we've all seen uh, at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. And then f- that was in 1963. And then in four years later in 1967, we had 58 seconds of the famous Patterson Bigfoot film. Mm-hmm. So these were related only in celluloid, as they say. In that uh, two very famous pieces of film footage are continually bantered about by skeptics, believers, conspiracy theorists, what have you, and mm-hmm. uh, that is the uh, that's the relation between the two. So, why is that bittersweet? Well, I'm getting there. First, first of all, Richard Feynman was the first one to answer correctly. He figured it out. So, congratulations. Not the Richard, scientist. No, he's dead. Uh, Richard Feynman, F I N E M A N, is his name on the message board. So, congratulations. Uh, way to put it together. And uh, you know, I guess it's sad in a way because we are retiring the skeptical puzzle from the SGU. No. Uh, so, yes, because we're going to be moving on to some older, bolder, and bigger, and even maybe better things uh, right. for yeah, two thousand. Evan is going to take a break from the skeptical puzzle. We don't know if we're going to bring it back in some other form or somebody else, but for now, we're not going to have a skeptical puzzle. And Evan is going to be shifting his time into working on a, at least one, if, if not more, new segments for the show. So this That's will right. lead to better and newer things. Absolutely. Pl- plus, I will also be producing the new podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Skeptic's Guide 5x5, five, five five, that will uh, be coming out very shortly. And, very shortly. Uh, so my time will also be devoted in making sure that that gets out every week to everyone. So, like I said, it'll just be on to bigger and uh, hopefully better things for us. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll bring the puzzle back or we'll have it back occasionally here and there if something interesting uh, comes up. But uh, as a weekly occurrence, this will be the end of the skeptical puzzle, at least for now. Well, Evan, thank you for doing that for well, more than a year, right? It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Actually, you know, actually reading up on a lot of these things that I've had to. I've, it's been an excellent learning experience, and I hope for all of you as well that you gained something out of it. If nothing else, it was you know, fun and amusement. So, The highlight of the skeptical puzzle... Was the rap, yeah. Was the rap, yeah. Was the rap puzzle. <laughs> that, yes, yes, that was a, that was a, great cre- a great creative moment in history, wasn't it? Fine line <laughs> between highlight and low light, huh? <laughs> yeah. Look, it all depends, depends on what fine line between what you're looking at it from. Look, it's <laughs> art. If someone's going to pay $38 million for a soup can, for a Campbell's soup can, uh, they can appreciate a skeptical rap. Thank you. Right. Evan. And that was followed closely by the uh, the limerick, right? Didn't you do a limerick puzzle? Yeah, yeah. We started talking about limericks shortly after that. And that was a big deal. That took, that took on a life of its yeah, own. Yeah, those are two it? items that we should have really talked about in the year in review. That was a big deal. Yeah, we didn't. A lot of people mm. enjoyed that. Yeah. We actually still need to publish all of the limericks in some form. Maybe we should p- publish a book. Ooh. Skeptical limericks. Wouldn't the limericks actually have to be good for that? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of them were good. A lot That's, of them that were. Is, that is a good bad. thing. It's be a short book. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. All right, all right a pamphlet, all right? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> a white paper. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm picturing something that a crazy person might hand you on the subway, you know? <laughs> well, listen, we, well, we'll, we'll take pictures at our upcoming events, and then we'll have a, a book with pictures of skeptics and limericks by skeptics about skepticism. You know, Steve, that's kind of like that, that poetry book that you pay to be in, and then the only people that buy it are the people that are in it. <laughs> Mm. Hey, I was in that. <laughs> the Vanity Press? Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> I would like to thank Evan for all the work he he put into the puzzle. I know, you know, it's a pain in the ass just to come up with a good quote every week, and you came up with a puzzle. You know, so I, I can imagine you spent a lot of time doing it. I, I did. You know, there were some, some puzzles came very easy to me, and others took literally hours of research and, and work to do. But, you know, like I said, it was it was fun. Uh, it was a good learning experience. I did learn a lot of things that I hadn't known before. And I think we all walked away with something, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> good job, Evan. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And, Jay, talking of the quote, yeah. you you will still be doing the quote at the end of the show. I'll do the quote for today, but I don't know if it's going to make it to next week. But I have a special thing I'm going to do tonight for the quote. Oh, I hope it's a wrap. It's, oh, that would be so cool. It's not a wrap. Yeah. Uh-huh. But... Uh, you know, I knew that we were going to be talking in part about Sylvia Brown tonight. And I thought, hmm, let me check out some of her quotes. So ah. instead of reading one, I'm going to read a bunch because they're short and they're all kind of weird and funny. And, I, you know, it's just a, a cool little thing. So, I'm, you know, everybody knows who Sylvia Brown is. So here is uh, here's a few of her quotes. A ghost is someone who hasn't made it. In other words, who died and they don't know they're dead. So they keep walking around and thinking that you're inhabiting their, let's say, their domain. So they're aggravated with you. On to the next mm-hmm. one. A spirit is like your mother, my dad, who've made it. They can come around, but they come around in a loving way because they're, they've already made it to God. Most people make it. <laughs> Animal totems, like the tiger, come from the other side to protect us while we are away from home. Hmm. There's another one. What's your totem, Jay? My totem... I have an affinity with bald eagles and monkeys. That's wow, odd. that's that's a dangerous combination. Yeah, Bird and odd. monkey? Let's not start that whole thing again. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> trying to, but those are like two of my favorite animals. Here's, I got more. Let me assure you that all of our pets and animals of every kind will be with us for eternity on the other side. Ooh, that's good to know. Wow. The more pain- Even that tiger that mauled those kids at the zoo or what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, no psychic predicted that. By the way, either the the, the the tiger that jumped up over the twelve and a half foot wall and killed the guy. There you go. A few more. Oh yeah, don't go to zoos. that don't have at least sixteen foot tiger walls. By the way. Yeah, don't get don't get drunk and say Jesus will protect you and go into a cage with uh with any kind of. Sorry, right, I have my amulet. I'm good. <laughs> got your anti tiger amulet. Oh yeah. All right, here's, I got a few more. The more painful right. it is, tragically, the more you do learn. Though that's the good part. The weeds keep multiplying in our garden, which is our mind ruled by fear. Rip them out and call them by name. And then my favorite, uh, someone asked her, what age is the spirit? 30, all 30. When I found this out, I said, why 30? Why not 40? Why not 50? Why not 12? It just happens to be 30. Wow, that's so true. Does that mean all spirits are 30? Yeah. Yeah, apparently. Is that what she means? Yep. I guess that's the age, like when you see the spirit, when she's calling a spirit, you know. They don't show up as a kid you or anything. They show 30 up as years old. They show what if up they died at 29? 30, yeah. Jay, you should end with your favorite quote about from Sylvia. Yeah, go my ahead, fa- Jay. My favorite quote from Sylvia, yes, absolutely, is, The kid's dead. <laughs> He's dead. It was terrible. <laughs> I see water. There's water. Um, I see uh, the chest wound and a head. 
Yeah, he died in the head of the, the kid's chest, wearing a so. uniform behind a red door. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She is not even trying. He, those are like so vacuous, common. If you just had to like make up random statements about ghosts and stuff, just that you absorb Des- from the culture, that's what it is. Like not designed to impress the likes of Montel Williams. That's all you need to know. I see a Big Mac with a large fry. <laughs> <laughs> she really, guys. Honestly, no. she she's a man, man, right? Like she, she there's, there's something not right. Only there. her hands and face and body. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, thank you all once again for joining me. It's a rock and thank start you, to 2008. Yeah, it, yeah. I feel like this is going a long way towards my rocking resolution. Yes. Maybe Thank we should you. have a resolution that the entire Skeptic's Guide is going to rock hard this year, in 2008. No, no, you guys can't just ride on my coattails like that. <laughs> we got, we're we're <laughs> going to encroach upon your New, Year, New Year's resolution. Steve, I want to uh, mm-hmm. issue a warning to our listeners. Yeah. Don't buy Frank's homeopathic pet spray for joint pain. It's a sham. <laughs> okay. But Pete's is the real one. Have you guys seen that <laughs> commercial? Frank's. Yeah, Pete's. that was good. No. Yeah. Jay, like, have you been up at night late or something? You have insomnia? <laughs> I, I had a week off. I had the last week off from work for, for the holiday, you know. And, yeah, I got there was, I spent a lot of time, like, just doing the guy thing, you know. Watching That's, infomercials? Whatever. You is know. that the guy thing? Switching is between infomercials and, and Skinamax or whatever. Yeah, I've always wondered. I thought it was sitting around in your underwear scratching yourself. <laughs> Don't joke around. I, you know. <laughs> I guess you can do that while of watching. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not very rocking, Jay. That's all I have to say. Not very rocking. I do it in a sexy way. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Um, so anyway, I think, Steve, you were saying something about wrapping up the show? Yeah, I think that'll just about do it. <laughs> so, thanks again for joining me, everyone. And here's looking to a great 2008. Here, here. Happy New Year. And until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation and Skeptic.org. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. For questions, suggestions, and other feedback, please use the Contact Us form on the website or send an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us spread the word by voting for us on Dig or leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find links to these sites and others through our homepage. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Problem.